Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you. Good to welcome you to our 1045 service. Good morning to all you folks across the street at the video venue and to all you folks that are joining us online, wherever you might be. We're so thrilled to have you be a part of this Sunday morning 1045 service. I want to invite everybody, wherever they are, to take a Bible or maybe you've got your Bible on your phone or some other kind of mobile device, and I want you to go in your Bible and find the Gospel of John and the fifth chapter, the Gospel of John and the fifth chapter, and we're going to spend some time in the first 15 verses today. Fred came out here a little earlier and did the welcome and shared with you some pictures from our preschool closing program this past Thursday. It was a great event. We have a great preschool here, great preschool director in Rhea Gray, and great preschool teachers, great staff. We appreciate them so much. What he didn't tell you is that uh, we had a kind of a, 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 a catastrophic failure that night with our soundboard, and we lost all of our sound. We weren't able to use any of our sound system on that evening, which was really disappointing because the teachers and the kids had worked so hard on so many songs and presentations that they just weren't able to do. And so we had to kind of salvage the evening by getting all 150 of those kids up here on stage and letting them sing some songs that they had learned together and doing the, uh, uh, the graduation from the pre-kindergarten. Those kids are heading to kindergarten next year. And so it turned out to be a a fun evening, and everybody was blessed, but I'm thinking the whole time, because I'm here to watch my granddaughter, oh, no, what about the weekend service? So, but fortunately, and the only reason why I bring this up is I want to just give a public shout out. Fortunately, we have a, a great relationship with a church up on the north side of Indianapolis, and I want to give out a shout to the Northview Church up in Carmel, because they have a soundboard exactly like the one that we use, and they have let us borrow one that they have uh, this weekend, and so we really appreciate that. How many of you know it's great to have good Christian friends when you're in trouble? Somebody say amen to that. Yeah. But uh, you just as soon not have the trouble, right? <laughs> All right. Well, we got our Bibles open to John chapter 5 this morning, and I suppose if somebody were to really press me and ask me the question, what part of the Bible or what parts of the Bible do I enjoy preaching the most? I would have to say that I really enjoy preaching from the Gospels because, of course, they tell us the story of the life of Jesus. Uh, the Gospels tell us about His birth, at least Matthew and Luke do. They tell us about His life, about His mission, about His methods, and the Gospels tell us about how Jesus dealt with people. Uh, my favorite stories from the Gospels, hands down, are the stories where Jesus has personal encounters with people, and I love the way that he interacts with people because Jesus was so masterful at uh, dealing with people and speaking directly into the need or the needs of their lives. And this passage that we've got open before us in John chapter 5 gives us a great, great example of that. So we're going to spend some time looking at it uh, this morning under the heading, How to Experience Lasting Change. So let's not waste any more time on an introduction. If you've got your Bible open there, then I want you to stand with me wherever you are in reverence and respect for God's Word like we always do. And I've got my NIV Bible that I preach from each and every week, and I want you to follow along as I read John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, 
I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes, goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And that once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Okay, there it is. That's the Scripture. You can be seated. May God add His blessing to the reading and the hearing of His Word today. What a great, great story this is. I love these stories where Jesus has personal encounters with people that result in Him performing supernatural works of healing. I love those stories because they always leave me, leave me with a sense of hope. I always think if Jesus can do that for them, then He can do that for me as well. But beyond the story, the particular story, beyond the healing rather, beyond the miracle, I want us to look at this story from a little bit of a different perspective this morning because what Jesus did for this invalid was provide the opportunity for his life to be changed. In fact, let me say it like this. What he did was he gave this invalid man the opportunity opportunity to experience lasting change, which honestly is something that's difficult for many of us. I think that we would all agree with that today. I think we would all agree with the fact that it's not always easy to make changes in our lives. But here's the deal. It might not be easy, but it's not impossible. It simply requires each and every one of us to be willing to take some level of responsibility for our lives. Now, I know that might sound a little bit odd in the context of this story because this man who was an invalid was healed by the supernatural power of Jesus. His healing wasn't the result of any single thing that he did. It was all about what Jesus did. There's no doubt about that. It's clear. On that particular day when Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he saw that great number of disabled people there by the pool of Bethesda that were told about in verse 3, there was probably nothing about this one particular man that caused him to stand out and seem like he was more worthy of healing than any of the others who were there. And there's nothing in this story to indicate that this man knew who Jesus was, and so when he saw him, he sought some kind of a healing. You know, it's clear as you read the story that he didn't even know who Jesus was. Verses 12 and 13 say, so they ask him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? This is after he healed, and they're talking about picking up his mat and walked. And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Here's my point. If you're familiar with the Gospels and you've read them before, you know that there are stories in the Gospels of healing where when somebody who was in need heard that Jesus was present or saw that Jesus was present, they shouted out to him, or they made some movement toward him to try to get his attention and secure that healing. But nothing like that happens here. This was all about Jesus. This was a supernatural act of physical healing and restoration from Jesus, who was God. However, when you really look at the story and you see the way that Jesus performed this miracle you see that it does teach us some important truths about taking responsibility for our lives. 
which honestly is something that many of us have a difficult time doing. So what I want to do this morning, and it won't take us a long time, but what I want to do this morning is I want to, we've read the passage, we've read the story, I want us to begin to work our way through the story, and as we do, I'm going to share with you from the story four important truths related to how we can experience lasting change in our lives, and here's the deal. All of these truths revolve around the need on our part to take some level of responsibility for our lives. So if you're taking notes... I want you to write down next to number one, just the single word. This is where we'll begin. I want you to write down the single word, admit. Admit. That's where we start. We started the story. We read the story. Jesus goes up to Jerusalem for a feast, and he goes uh, near the Sheep Gate, which, by the way, is just a small opening on the north wall of the city of Jerusalem. And there he finds this pool that's called the Pool of Bethesda. It's, Bethesda is an Aramaic word. Uh, just as a point of reference, the word literally translated means outpouring or house of outpouring. And there is a large group of disabled people that are gathered around this pool. Now, I want to point out something to you. I've got my Bible open, as I said, to John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. I've got my NIV Bible, and here's the deal. As I read John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15 in my NIV Bible, there's no verse 4. I want you to look at your Bible and see if it's the same way. There's no verse 4. Is that the way for you? Just go like this if it is. I see some positive responses there. And so the question is, why? Why is there no verse 4? Why do we skip from verse 3 to verse 5 in the story? Well, here's the deal. The truth is that when the New Testament was translated from the oldest, most reliable Greek manuscripts they did not include the latter part of what some Bibles translate as verse 3 and all of verse 4. And so in the translation process, some versions of the Bible include those passages and some don't. My NIV Bible, for example, do not include the latter part of verse 3 and all of verse 4 because those words are not in the oldest, most reliable Greek manuscripts that are used for translation. However, some do. For example, in the New King James Version of the Bible, those passages are included. And I bring that up because if you see what those say, it gives a little bit more clarity to the story itself. Now, you, this is not an unusual thing. Actually, there's a handful of passages like, in this, like this in the New Testament, and there's a word that we use for those passages. I should have put it up on the screen so you could see it. It's the word spurious. Spurious, S-P-U-R-I-O-U-S, spurious. There are what's considered to be spurious passages in the New Testament, and all that means is that they're not 100% reliable in that they weren't a part of the oldest and the most reliable manuscripts. Maybe they're true, maybe they're not, but they're just identified for us that way to just, to just tell us the reality of the passage. Now, let me just for clarity's sake, let me show you how these, this reads if you've got all of these verses. Let's put it up on the screen the way it's rendered in the New King James Version Bible. This is what the whole thing would say if everything was included. It would say, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, and this is a part that's not included, waiting for the moving of the water. And then we go to verse 4. And verse 4 says, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, everybody look up here. That makes this story make a little bit more sense, doesn't it? Why all these disabled people with all these different physical afflictions were all gathered around the pool of Bethesda because there was a legend that from time to time an angel would come down and stir the water. And when the water was stirred, the first one in was healed 
from whatever physical problem or physical malady that he or she suffered from. So here's the deal. We put all that together, it would be safe to say that this man, this invalid that we see here in John chapter 5, that this man's strategy to solve this big problem of his life, this big physical problem of his life, was to go to this pool every day and to do his best to be the first one to get into the water whenever the water was stirred. Now, we don't know how long he had had this strategy. We don't know how long he had been doing this, following this plan. We only know that he had been an invalid for 38 years But we also know, if we're honest, we also know that his plan wasn't very well thought out, even if the legend were true, because when the water was stirred, he wasn't able to get in. And so we're left with the sense that this man was doing the same thing every day, day after day after day. He was going to the pool of Bethesda. Somehow he got there, and he was just waiting and waiting, hoping that eventually someone would come along who would help him get into the water when the water was stirred, but that someone never came, and his situation remained the same day after day after day. So here's my first point when we talk about how to experience lasting change. You remember, I'm saying all of these points that we're going to see are connected to the need to take responsibility for our life. My first point is this. Taking responsibility for your life means that at some point in your life, you've got to take a long, hard look at your life. You've got to take a long, hard look at yourself and admit that what you're doing right now to try to solve the problem that you have in your life is not working. And so when I say the, when I use the word admit for point number one, what I'm really saying is that sometimes in our lives, In order to experience lasting change, we have to admit that what we're doing right now in our life is not working. And listen, I don't think it really matters what kind of problem you have. I don't think it matters what kind of problem you're talking about because the truth is many of us or many of us know somebody like this. Many of us live in an endless cycle where we face the same problem or the same problems over and over and over again. And for some reason, we take the same approach over and over and over again to to try to solve the problem or solve the problems, but it never works and nothing ever changes. I read this week that Albert Einstein once said, We can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them. And yet that's what many of us do as we go through life. And so at some point, if you want to experience lasting change in your life, when you look at the problems of your life, at some point you've got to say, what I'm doing right now, this isn't working, so maybe it's time for something new. Now, having said that, let me just ask you a point-blank question. Does this describe you? Is there some area in your life right now today where you feel like you're stuck? Is there some area of your life right now where honestly you are feeling very frustrated because of a lack of progress and because of a lack of change? If you would answer yes to any of those questions, then here's the absolute best advice that I can give you this morning. Don't waste any more time on an idea that wasn't good to begin with. When it comes to trying to solve the problem in your life or the problems of your life, don't waste any more time on an idea that wasn't good to begin with. Taking responsibility for your life means that you have to admit that what you're doing right now isn't working, so you need to pursue a a different and a better idea and plan. All right, that's number one. Write down next to number two, these two words. Write down the words, let go. Let go. And we'll turn our attention back to the story. 
When Jesus saw this invalid, he asked him what initially, when you first read it, has to seem at least on some level like a dumb question. Look back at verse 6. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, that seems like a dumb question because you would think, of course he does. Of course he wants to get well. But I want you to notice something with me in the text. While this is pretty much a yes or no question, right? Everyone say right. It's a yes or no question. Jesus said, point blank, matter of fact, do you want to get well? You answer that question, yes or no. While this is pretty much a yes or no question, the man doesn't respond with a yes or a no. He responds with an excuse. In verse 7, we read, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. That's not what Jesus asked. Jesus asked, do you want to get well? That's a yes or no question. But this, man, this man's mind was so full of reasons why he couldn't be healed, at least according to this one method that he was trying, his mind was so full of reasons why he couldn't be healed that he couldn't answer Jesus' question the way it was asked. And sometimes, let's be honest, we have a tendency ourselves to be the same way with God. Let me illustrate it like this. Over the years, I've had the occasion to talk to a lot of different people about a lot of different problems. I've been a pastor for a long time. I've been a pastor in three different churches. I've met and ministered to and shepherded and cared for a lot of people. And so I've talked to a lot of people about a lot of different problems. I've talked to people about emotional problems, spiritual problems, relationship problems, marriage problems, parenting problems, finance problems, reconciliation problems, uh, professional problems. You can go on and on and on. I've talked to a lot of people about a lot of different problems. Now, let me just tell you right from the front, let me be real clear. I am not a professional counselor. I don't have that training. I'm not. Now, I took some pastoral counseling classes when I was in Bible college, what was that, 35, 36 years ago or something like that, and some pastoral counseling classes when I went to seminary 35 years ago. I've read some books on pastoral counseling, but I am not trained as a professional counselor on any level. And so when somebody comes to me with a problem, I only have one response. I say, well, let's open up the Bible and see what God says. That sounds like a reasonable response, right? Everyone say right. That's a reasonable response. I don't, if you wanted to come to me just to know what I thought about something, then you're in trouble. But if you want to know what God thinks about something, then I can help you out there. So we open up our Bibles, and uh, we find uh, instruction directly from God recorded uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in God's Word, and we read it, and we say, and I'll look at that person who's with me, and I'll say, now, this is really what God says. This is what the Bible instructs that you that you need to do to solve this or to... Or to, to, to to deal with this problem, this relationship problem. You wanted, this is a marriage issue. This is what the Scriptures tell us we need to do with regard to being the absolute best spouse that we can be or a parenting problem or a financial problem. This is what you need to begin to do in order to put your financial life uh, in, uh, back together, whatever it might be. And oftentimes, whenever I do that, I get the same response. I just get one excuse after another from whoever it is that I'm dealing with as to why they can't do what God says they need to do. And that's a problem. Because listen, when we take that approach with regard to the problems of our life, when we take the approach of making excuses of why we can't do what we need to do, here's what ends up happening. 
we ultimately at some point begin to nurture those excuses because they give us permission to stay the way that we are. We begin to nurture those excuses. What does that mean? We begin to embrace those excuses. We begin to let those excuses get deep down inside of us. We begin to let those excuses to be our first line of response when it comes to a problem because hanging on to those excuses give us permission to stay the way we are and never make any changes, never solve our problems, and never move forward in our lives to stay stuck for the rest of our lives. And you can't do that. And so if there's some area of your life where you need to make a commitment to do what God says so that you can turn that part of your life around, and yet you just keep making excuses that give you permission to stay right where you are, then with regard to that problem, I'm going to ask you the same question that Jesus asked that invalid. Do you want to get well? Honestly, do you really want to get well? Do you want things to change? Do you want to get well in your relationships? Do you want to get well in your marriage? Do you want to get well in your finances? Do you want to get well in your physical health? Do you want to get well in your professional life? Do you really want to get well? Stop making excuses that give you permission to stay right where you are because here's the other thing that ends up happening. Our excuses ultimately give way to blame And all of a sudden, we find ourselves, with regard to the problems of our lives, all of a sudden, we find ourselves saying, it's not my fault, it's my situation, or it's the economy, or it's my schedule, or it's my metabolism, or it's my spouse, or it's my parents, or it's my pastor, or it's my church, or whatever you fill in the blank. Did you notice in this story that Jesus never once asked this man why he was in this predicament? Why? Because Jesus already knew. Never once in the story did Jesus ask this man why he wasn't able to get into the pool to receive the healing. Why? Because Jesus already knew. Jesus went beyond those things, and he asked them the most important question. He asked him the most pressing question. He asked him the most pertinent question. He said, do you want to get well? That's what we need to hang on to, and that's what he's asking each one of us today. Do you want to get well? Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to become useful? Do you want to experience purpose in your life? Do you want to experience the blessing of God in your life? Whatever it might be. If you do, if your answer is yes, that's just a yes or no question. And if the answer is yes, then you need to stop making excuses and stop placing blame because you're never going to experience any lasting change in your life in any area of your life as long as you're hanging on to excuses. Is life difficult sometimes? Everyone say yes. Is life unfair sometimes? Everyone say yes. Do we find ourselves the victims of circumstances that are completely out of our control sometimes? Everyone say yes. But you're never going to experience lasting change in your life regardless of any of those things if all you're doing is hanging on to excuses and trying to place blame. Never. Write down next to number three. These two words. Stand up. Stand up. We go back to the last part of verse 6 through verse 7. We see this exchange again. Jesus said, do you want to get well? Verse 7, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then if we keep reading down through verse 8, in verse 8 we read, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And so what did the man do? He did just that. He got up. But you know, 
honestly, he could have responded in a completely different way to Jesus. And I get the sense that sometimes many of us would have responded in a completely different way to Jesus. For example, when Jesus looked at this man, who, remember, has been an invalid for 38 years, when Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk, the man could have very easily looked at Jesus, I mean, just with great exasperation on his face and say, excuse me, did you not hear what I just said? Every time the water is stirred, I don't have anyone to help me get into the pool. Do you really think that I would be lying here all these years if I could just get up and walk? He could have said that. That's how we respond sometimes. God tells us to do something. We don't think we can do it because we're stuck back in point number two with all of our excuses and with all of our blame. I've had this occasion with people uh, before, and I'll open up the Bible like I was describing a minute ago, and I'll tell them, this is what God says with regard to this situation, this circumstance, this problem, or these problems in your life. And I've oftentimes had people respond in an angry way. I mean, not just exasperated or frustrated, but in an angry way because they're like, you've got to be kidding me. Don't you, haven't you been listening to what I've been saying? I can't do any of those things. But I want you to think about something with me. Here's what happened in this story. When Jesus looked at this man, this man who had been an invalid for 38 years and told him to get up and walk, what really happened in that moment is that Jesus created an ultimate decision time for him. An ultimate decision time for him. And in that moment, what happened is this man who had been an invalid for 38 years had to decide, am I going to continue to lay here and nurture my excuses for the rest of my life, or am I going to take a bold step of obedience and try to do for the first time what 38 years of history has told me that I can't do? It was a decision moment for him. It was the ultimate decision moment for him. If you want to be a part of creating and experiencing some kind of lasting change in your life. And I have to believe that that's something that all of us wants, at least on some level in our lives, at least in some area of our lives, then you have to come to that same moment of decision. And when you come to that moment of decision, you have to realize that you're not going to be able to do what God asks you to do, what God needs you to do, what He commands you to do on your own. You're going to need His help. I don't believe in that moment this man who had been an invalid for 38 years was able just in his own strength to pick himself up and walk, to pick up his mat and walk, to do something that he hadn't been able to do for 38 years. I don't know exactly, I don't know precisely what it meant for him to be an invalid. I looked at that word and tried to do a little bit of a word study on it. it in the original language of the New Testament, it's the Greek word akurao. That's what's translated invalid, akurao, and the closest definition I could find was somebody who was rendered void or somebody who was deprived of force. I take that literally to mean that the man did not have the power, the physical power or the physical strength in and of himself to be able to stand up and pick up his mat and walk on his own, but he came to a decision moment. He decided he was going to do what Jesus said he needed to do. He was going to obey the command and the instruction of Jesus. He was going to take some responsibility for his life so that there could be change in his life, and when he did, Jesus responded by giving him the power and the strength that he needed to do exactly what he did to stand up and to pick up his mat and walk. Think about this man with these withered legs. Think about what his legs would have been like, the condition of his legs after 38 years of being an invalid. But he received 
the power of God, the power of Jesus in that moment, in the moment when he chose to obey, he received the power of God and the power of Jesus to do what he was asked to do. And as a result, he was completely healed. He was walking around carrying his mat. He, was, he, he moved ultimately from the pool of Bethesda there to the temple because that's where we read him encountering Jesus the next time. He was completely healed 100%. Now, here's the question. In what area of your life is God saying to you, get up? Is there an area in your life right now when, you, when you're wallowing in some situation, some problem, or some group of problems that you've been dealing with for a long time, is there an area like that in your life where honestly God is looking at you just like Jesus looked at that man that day in John 5 and He's saying, get up, quit making excuses, quit placing blame, get up. If there is an area like that, then don't respond by saying, I can't or I need someone else to help me. There right response is just to do exactly what He's calling you to do because that's how you experience lasting change in your life. It's by taking responsibility for your own actions and taking responsibility for whether or not you're going to obey. And listen to me. Listen to me close, and you need to remember this. God is not going to tell you to do something like that. God is not going to tell you to get up in some area of your life where you're struggling and then not respond by providing His power to help you when you choose to obey. This is a part of what it means to live by faith. If you choose to take responsibility for your life and be involved with a personal encounter with God that leads to a lasting change, and you obey, you move forward, you take a step of faith, He's going to empower you so that you can do what you need to do. So we all need to just think about our lives for a moment. We need to decide if there's an area in our life where we need through the power of God to do finally, once and for all, for the first time, whatever, whatever He's calling us to do. Write down next to number four these two words. Stay focused. Stay focused. Now, if we just continue chronologically through the text, you'll notice beginning in the, verse to, in the end of verse 9 that on the day on which this miracle took place was the Sabbath day. You know what that means? Do you know what that means? The Sabbath was a big deal in the Old Testament law. The Sabbath was the day of rest. The Sabbath was the day when you weren't supposed to do any work, when you were supposed to be very limited in your activities. It was a day of rest. That's how it was in the beginning when God created the world. But it had been taken and abused on all different kinds of levels by the Jews. And so it was a Sabbath day when this happened. And so in verse 10 says, the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. It, it, by the way, let's pause there for a moment. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? This man who had been an invalid for 38 years, who'd probably been lying at this pool for years and years and years trying to seek some healing, finally got this supernatural uh, miracle in his life that enabled him to be healed. And the people that were around him, all they cared about was the fact that he was carrying his mat on the Sabbath day. Isn't that how it, that's how it, that's how it, that's how it is sometimes, let's be honest. That's how it is sometimes when we're more religious than we are faithful, when we're more, more worried about rules and regulations than we are about people's lives and people's hearts. And so he kind of got some criticism. I don't want to talk about that right now. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. I want you to skip down and look at verses 14 and 15 with me because in particular, it's in verse 14 where I see this, this idea of staying focused. In verses 14 and 15, 
This is what we read. Later, Jesus found him at the temple. I told you the man had moved from the pool of Bethesda to the temple. It says, later, Jesus found him at the temple. Remember, Jesus had slipped out through the crowd. He found him at the temple and said to him, this is verse 14, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Verse 15 says, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Let's talk about verse 14 for just a moment. That's kind of an amazing verse, isn't it? It's kind of puzzling. Jesus found this man a little bit later, and he said, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, here's my first, the first thing that comes through my mind. Was this some kind of a threat? I don't think so, because that's not really the way Jesus operates. He doesn't operate by threats. Is it some kind of a warning? Absolutely. I think it's a warning, and I think it's a warning that all of us need to pay attention to, because this man had been given this incredible, great opportunity to make something special of his life, for his life to be completely turned around, for his life to be completely changed. He'd been given this opportunity to experience lasting change, and so Jesus was basically saying to him, don't blow it, or what? He'll be sick again? He'll be an invalid again? I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about. You know, I, I think it could have been any number of things regard to a warning. You know, the Bible tells us, and I'm not going to spend any time talking about this, but the Bible does tell us in different places that there are times when sickness can be the result of sin. Did you know that? Sickness can sometimes be the result of sin. Now, I want you to listen to the two words I'm about to say next. Not always. Not always. Not always. Not always. That's not always the case. Just because somebody's sick or somebody has some kind of a physical problem or physical malady does not mean that there's some sin in their life. But the Bible says that sometimes that does happen. But you know what? There's a worse, there's a worse punishment than sickness for sin. And you know what that is? That's eternal separation from God. And that's what unrepentant sin leads to. But I don't even think those are the things that, this, that Jesus is inferring here in this passage. I think he's talking about something worse than this man being sick or being an invalid again, I think he's talking about something worse on a day-in and day-out practical basis because I think what's worse than being sick and helpless and bedridden for 30 years is to be healthy and whole and brimming with potential and then wasting it all away by leading a meaningless, empty, selfish, sinful, excuse-making, blame-placing life. That's worse. And Jesus was basically saying, stay focused. Your life has changed. You've gotten this new opportunity. You've, you and I have met in this moment of lasting change. Don't blow it. He's basically telling this man, from here on out, you need to make sure that you own your own behavior. You own your actions. You own your ideas. You own your thoughts. You own your words. You own your attitudes and your motives. And that's something that we all need to do. You know why? Because someday we're going to have to own the outcomes of all those things. And how much better is it for us to own those things today in a right way so that we don't have to own them in a negative way down the road? And so he's just giving this man a warning. Isn't this a great story? Somebody say yes. I mean, it's a great story of a supernatural act of healing on the part of Jesus, but it's more than that. It's a great story that shows us that we have a responsibility in the life that we live, the life that we embrace, and the life that we choose. 
we have to take responsibility for our lives. One last thing. Let's just go back for just a second. Tyson, you go ahead and come, and we'll close this part of the service. We'll go back to that whole aspect about this happening on the Sabbath. Let me, I want you to look up here and listen to me really close. And I hate this. I hate this, but it's true. Have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed that any time you really try to step out in faith and do something different in your life, when you try to make changes in your life, when you try to move from, from here to here in a positive way in your life, almost always somebody's almost there's almost always going to be somebody come along and criticize you and say negative things to you and question your motives. Don't let that happen. Whether it's our enemy, the devil, who tries to do that all the time, or whether it's some well-meaning, well-intentioned Christian, or whether it's some person who just doesn't understand what's going on in your life, don't let somebody ever distract you from doing what's right. By questioning your motives or criticizing what you're doing in any way, shape, or form, you hang on, you hang on to the encounter that you have with God and the choice you made, the choice you made to do what He calls you to do, to do what He tells you to do, instructs you to do, commands you to do, and then the way He meets you in that moment to bring about change in your life. I got to believe today, as I'm standing here talking to you, the final service today or of this weekend. I got to believe that there are people in this room, people across the street, people who are listening to me online who are dealing with problems in their life that they've been, uh, that they've been dealing with for a long, long time. Listen to me. You need to admit that what you've been doing to try to solve those problems isn't working. You need to pursue a better idea and a better plan. And you need to let go of all the excuses and all the, all the blame that you put on other people to try to give yourself permission to never change in your life. And you need to get up. You need to stand up. You need to do what God has called you to do and told you to do. And you need to trust that when you're willing to do that, he's going to meet you and empower you to do exactly what he's asked you to do. And then you need to stay focused because that's how you experience lasting change in your life. And you need to commit to living a life that brings him honor and glory every day single day.